Welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast, a podcast about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Listen in as I interview the best and brightest entrepreneurs, business leaders, software developers, economists, writers, and analysts. This is episode 47, and my guest is Giacomo Zucco. Hardcore Bitcoiners already know who he is, but just for any listeners newer to Bitcoin, Giacomo is a well-known Bitcoin advocate, supremo of BHB Network, providing Bitcoin and blockchain consulting. He's well-known for his comedic speeches and has been around Bitcoin for a long time. So here's my chat with Giacomo. Giacomo, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, Giacomo, I've really liked a lot of your material that you put out and the talks that you do. So I just wanted to get you on. And actually, funnily enough, just uh, last night, I saw you posted this important thread where you mentioned that there is a critical or catastrophic vulnerability that will kill Bitcoin. (laughs) Yeah, it was uh, actually uh, a lot of fun. Uh, basically, uh, I think that uh, it was triggered by the fact that uh, somebody else was asking me in private uh, messages uh, to give my opinion about the uh, the, the, the thread, about the uh, ununderstandable, unintelligible uh, Andrew DeSantis uh, tweet uh, with uh, Br- Bryce Weiner uh, rebouncing it about uh, this segwit vulnerability. And so I was so annoyed that I, that I just said, I will, I will tweet... Uh, a couple of tweets about a new vulnerability mocking these people believing in everything. My expectation was not that somebody would would really have been fooled by that, because the, in my opinion, the irony of the tweet was immediately obvious since the the beginning. Because, uh, for example, the, the the first part, uh, the first tweet, the the very beginning of the thread starts with uh, exclamative marks mixed with ones, one numbers. Uh, which is t- typically the when you're mocking somebody not very good with a keyboard. And then uh, I, I suggested that I'm dumping all my Bitcoins in order to buy Ripple, Satoshi's Visions, Ethereum, and DentaCoin, uh, specifying that DentaCoin is the most immune coin to these vulnerabilities. So the, then, of course, with point one, I started with the time travel uh, communication mechanism, and then I moved to... Uh, to mocking the the scientist's uh, 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 drawings on the screenshot. So in my opinion, it was super obvious it was a joke. But actually, uh, I'm still receiving now uh, some some nice uh, dead threats in my personal messages. And some people, especially tweeting in, uh, in Chinese uh, or Japanese using automatic translators, that are basically falling for for that in in Asia. So it's it's very fascinating and also it was, it was unexpected for me, but it's probably also very telling of the state of informational asymmetry and also educational asymmetry and cognitive asymmetry maybe that we that there is in this market the the general crypto market for sure and but sadly also the Bitcoin market. Um, some people didn't get, get the joke, which is uh, really app- appalling. Yeah, I think it could just be that to some, it's, it looks like it's inside baseball and really only people who are closely following it understand it. So obviously, people who are closely following the scene kind of know these jokes and know the references, but maybe you know, to an outsider, they could get confused. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, getting the joke in a sense of uh, fi- finding the joke funny requires probably a little bit of knowledge, not just about Bitcoin, but about also like the Bitcoin gossips and, and personalities and communities. So this is a very like insider joke. So getting in the sense of 
finding it funny, it's probably difficult for insiders. But getting in a sense that uh, you should not base any kind of serious consideration on this kind of tweet, when you immediately talk about uh, DentaCoin and then you talk about time travel and then you talk about, uh, uh, I mean, uh, get not getting the joke, meaning treating this as something serious, uh, I think it, uh, it qualifies a level of uh, absolute uh, lack of understanding of not just Bitcoin, but probably internet and, and Twitter and irony and life and, and physics and, uh, and basically <laughs> everything, uh, which is uh, scary, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I thought it was a hilarious thread, yeah. Look, people. People should. Uh, we should. People should come out. I should title this episode: "Giacomo Rage Quits Bitcoin." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we'll get a lot of clicks on the download. <laughs> the the Hern, the yeah the Mike Hern move. Yeah, Giacomo <laughs> quits Bitcoin. Uh, capitulation. Bitcoin cap- beer market capitulation. Uh, look. Anyway, we should get. We should bring it back to some uh, more real topics that I had. So I've got a few topics prepared, Giacomo. One of them I thought would be good to get your thoughts. So there's been a bit of a trend. Now there are positive and negatives here. So some people have been talking about this concept or releasing custodial Lightning wallets. Now. On one hand, people could say, look, that's encouraging the wrong behavior. The correct Bitcoiner ethos is that you should run a full node, hold your own keys. But then the flip side is, actually, it might not be a big deal. People are maybe not putting a lot of money in. And maybe it's more like a gateway drug. They start using the Lightning Wallet with just a small amount, and then they go and learn more. What do you think? So I think there, there is a, a couple of considerations that we can, we can make about this. The first one is uh, the, the consideration, the general rule about uh, rule of thumb about security circuses. So the, the point is that it's true that some, sometimes, often actually, security is in direct trade-off with uh, uh, user experience of, or, uh, or uh, intuitiveness of, of a system or, uh, or time you spend to study it and to use it or cost. So... Uh, sometimes you have to compromise and low security systems can be a gateway drug for high security systems. So it, it's true that sometimes before you can get to an expert level and have a super complex uh, uh, cold multisig wallet with Glacier protocol and hardware wallets, you can just uh, uh, pass through a simple Bitcoin investment through a custodial uh, or before you go to a full Lightning Network node with uh, with complex uh, submarine swaps things, you just use uh, some centralized service like uh, ChangeTip. But the problem is when you are not using, uh, 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 you are not aware of being using uh, a low security alternative, and you think, or you are you are misguided, you are you are brought to think that you are using high security, uh, but somehow uh, high um, uh, simplicity alternative. Just to give you an example, uh, when 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 I uh, tell you that you can uh, keep your Bitcoin on an exchange, uh, the trade-offs, especially after empty gox, are pretty much uh, clear. But when I start to sell you a, a, a fiduciary account like a Bitcoin wallet, so I try to confuse you with some kind of security circus, and I let you think that you are doing more security than than you actually are. Uh, that's actually a, dam- a net damage. So it's correct that you can move from custodial solutions uh, to non-custodial solution, and custodial solution can be a good gateway drug for these kind of things. But uh, uh, 
custodial solutions do not need light network at all. Uh, if you remember, there was a, for micro for Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin was always bad for micro payments and instant payments by definition, because even when uh, nobody was using it, so fees were very very low and sometimes uh, inexistent, and zero comp double spend were very rare and sometimes inexistent. Still, it was a, a lot of friction to, uh, to to use the on-chain uh, part of Bitcoin, which is not uh, is not really um, useful for instant and uh, and cheap uh, transactions. So people, in order to micro tip other people, were using uh, a centralized solution custodial called Change Tip. It was a solution in which you charged your Change Tip account, fiduciary account with one Bitcoin on-chain transaction, and then you could just tip people off-chain using this custodial solution. So I don't think there is anything inherently bad about that if the, if the trade-off you are making is very, very clear. But uh, Lightning Network is an evolution of that, meaning that uh, you are now, uh, we are now switching to a trustless, permissionless, and non-custodial alternative of uh, micro, trans- micro, micro payments and microtransactions and fast transactions. Uh, and, and now the, the trade-off is, uh, is clear. We are safer, not as safe as with on-chain Bitcoin transactions. So there still is a trade-off. When you're using Lightning Network, uh, your keys are basically hot, so it's uh, less secure. The, the, the security model is punishment-based instead of validation-based, so it's less secure. Uh, also, you can have some kind of uh, uh, DDoS attack. So, uh, in a way, uh, well, or, or you can lose your key, uh, uh, you can lose your, your device, and it's not just like a, a, a BIP32 uh, seed where you can just recover everything from the seed. In this case, in Lightning, you have more uh, backup problems. So, you are giving up a little bit of security to get a lot of uh, uh, good UX. But with the uh, 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 custodial light network, this is very confusing. I mean, this is a security circus. What, what is the advantage uh, uh, f- from a custodial light network compared to a more simple, more clear, less confusing, and, and less, uh, uh, let's say, gas lightning uh, custodial solution like uh, change tip? So it, 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 it's this that, that I don't like. It's not that it's custodial. But it's just uh, it's pointless, and it's pointless because it's uh, used in order to uh, to to make people think they are using something more than a simple uh, change tip like like solution. Of course, there is one counter argument to this, which is uh, uh, the fact that uh, if and when everybody is using the trustless solution, so everybody uh, or a lot of people is using Lightning Network then a Lightning Network custodial solution is better than a change tip-like custodial solution because uh, on a, a change tip-like custodial solution, you can only tip people on the same system. So it has very low social scalability. It has a lot of friction. It's not an open standard. It's a proprietary uh, closed system. While which, if you use a, a centralized uh, proxy to the open, the centralized Lightning Network, you can have all the easiness, all the, the, the simple UX of a centralized uh, trusted solution, but you can still interact with other people using Lightning Network. This would be the case of, uh, I mean, you, you surely remember people in the late 90s, especially managers and entrepreneurs 
uh, asking their secretaries to print the emails for, for, for them. So they were just getting paper, printed paper. So they were not using email in its full power. Uh, but uh, uh, the, the reason they were doing that because it was uh, uh, to, to, to get connected with other people using the same open protocol of email. So it can make sense. But I will expect this. Uh, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense now. Uh, there was a, uh, there was a, somebody pointing out that uh, a custodial Lightning Network wallet could be a rational thing if there was a lot of market and of e-commerce going on on Lightning. So in that case, basically, a lot of people using Lightning. I want to use Lightning too. I'm not technical enough to run a Lightning node. Then I just use uh, this kind of proxy. But why is people using custodial Lightning Network uh, uh, solutions right, right now? Not because of that, because you can still not really. I mean, uh, unless there are very few people that installed uh, Bitcoin, uh, uh, I mean, Lightning Network custodial wallets in order to buy stickers from, from Blockstream or whatever, uh, or to, to buy Pixel on Satoshi's place. But these are very, very, I mean, fringe scenarios. So most, for most of the cases, I think that the, the, the explanation is a security circus. So these people think they are, using, they are using something technological, something exciting like Lightning Network, and they're actually just using a centralized account. So in this sense, it's a net negative. Yeah, I think you made a lot of great points there. I particularly like the point you made where you were comparing it back to ChangeTip, and at least in the sense that it can, while you're interacting from a custodial hosted wallet, you can still interact with the open internet. And if more and more people start using internet commerce and you know, doing lightning tipping, let's say, that may be another angle of adoption. And the other cool thing, well, I guess another observation that you, you know, might think about here is it might be easier technically to build a custodial lightning wallet and because there's so much excitement that could be why a lot of people are trying the custodial angle compared to the let's call it the the more trustless or you know trust minimized model sure sure that's uh, that's part of the general trade-off we were discussing centralized solutions are simpler to build to to bootstrap and to to maintain and to evolve uh for uh, i mean uh, unless the, the the centralized alternative becomes so widespread that basically you can just piggyback and leverage uh, an open standard already maintained by, by thousands of other people. So uh, l to make a comparison, if you have a private network for uh, an information technology network uh, for your company in 1992, it doesn't make any sense to use uh, the internet because it's just more expensive, more complex to bootstrap. You just use a, a, a mainframe. Mainframes are perfect for a closed proprietary environment. So if you are in 1992, you just use a mainframe but and use the internet instead only for external interaction to interact with other people with the open standard. But if you are in 2019, well, even if you want to create a closed system for your company, closed and proprietary, so you're not really leveraging the internet technology because you could just use a mainframe, you still use the internet, not because it's technologically efficient, but because it's socially efficient, because everybody else is already using it and you are still using it for any, any other use case. And so it's a low cost to reuse it also for the close, uh, the close environment, which, uh, I mean, I could, good, I could do the same comparison with uh, 
uh, WhatsApp over the internet or walkie-talkie, if you have to send a vocal memo to a guy in, in, in your same building, you should use a walkie-talkie, technically speaking. It's more efficient. Uh, but use a, a vocal memo over Telegram or WhatsApp, which is crazily inefficient, technically speaking, because the voice will be uh, will be encoded into packets and they will go to your Wi-Fi, and then to your router in some IP random path, and then back to the 4G of the local telephone operator, back to the cell phone of your friend in the same building, which is crazy. The reason you do that is, is because everybody else is using that and you are also using that for every, everything else. So it's basically social scalability, as uh, Nick Sabo calls it. So in, this makes sense. But this also all only makes sense when there actually is uh, uh, this kind of uh, penetration of the market. It's a similar question of, uh, I mean, using Bitcoin to pay for coffee. Uh, right now, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, economically, but also technically. It makes sense when uh, you use Bitcoin for the things that you cannot do without Bitcoin. So to pay to buy from the black market, to save your, uh, your savings from inflation or confiscation, uh, to, use, to do uh, advanced uh, micropayment things like, uh, uh, like uh, machine to machine because uh, PayPal will not uh, allow you uh, uh, I mean, from a regulatory point of view, not from a technical point of view, uh, to do micropayments. So you do that uh, only because you cannot do that with fiat legacy alternative. But uh, uh, you don't do the, the normal fiat legacy payments with Bitcoin if you can avoid that, because it's uh, more complex and also economically a little bit uh, inconvenient. So uh, you will, we will pay for coffee in Bitcoin when everybody everything else will be done in Bitcoin and the, the, the momentum, the inertia, the, the, gra the gravity force of the open alternative will also attract all the closed uh, legacy alternatives. Yeah, I think the comments you make there are very much echoing this idea that it's really about what level of infrastructure there is set up to do a certain thing. So in that example where you're saying you text your friend or you voice message them using WhatsApp, well, the infrastructure is much better for you to do that than for you and your friend to both carry around walkie-talkies, that kind of thing. So it's ultimately once we get to that point where enough people are using Bitcoin and Lightning payment that it becomes kind of the easiest route for people to use. Uh, another thing you've been commenting on recently is around altcoins. So as we enter 2019, do you still believe that altcoins, some of them are more like an honest but maybe misguided attempt? Or are they maybe are they scam coins that are distracting from the overall journey to global sound money? How do you think about some of these altcoins? So I still think that a very, very limited number of altcoins are extremely interesting and also good faith experiments mostly and uh, maybe even useful for uh, both uh, the Bitcoin evolution and some specific use cases, uh, at least arguably, uh, right now. A typical example is, uh, is Monero. Uh, Monero is an interesting experiment of different trade-offs between uh, scalability, basically, and privacy, uh, because it's using the on-chain privacy idea, where you still have every node storing every information forever, but uh, they store this information in an encrypted way with a ring signature and confidential transaction. Uh, and so the, 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 the proofs are larger and heavier, 
So the validation is more difficult. So all the scalability problems of Bitcoin are made uh, are made orders of magnitude worse in Monero. But you test this uh, this alternative in order to get more privacy. Uh, I, I would say arguably more privacy because uh, the point of uh, of privacy and anonymity and and fungibility is also about uh, anonymity set and and liquidity. So if uh, if you use just a Bitcoin trustless tumbler like uh, Join Market or Wasabi, Chaumian uh, Coin Join or, or, or Tumblr Bit or whatever. And there is more liquidity on this Tumblr than there is liquidity on the Monero transaction right now in, in terms of value. Then you're actually more private in Bitcoin than in Monero. So it, it really depends if there are less users in Monero than users in, uh, in, in the Bitcoin Tumblr you're using, then there is a be- best, a better privacy in Bitcoin. That's why things like Zcash don't make any kind of sense because in in, uh, in Zcash there is an optional uh, privacy, which is optional but more expensive. So you are supposed to pay more to have privacy, which is okay, but that means that nobody is using shielded transactions. So in Zcash, everybody is using normal transaction and again, security circles. They think it's more private just because some marketing is telling them it's it's more private just because they read it somewhere by uh, by uh, by some people, but it's not true. Actually, it's way less private because there is a very small anonymity set. Very very few people are using Zcash, and very very few people are using shielded transaction. So that even if you do use shielded transaction, you are not private at all because the anonymity set is super small because nobody else is using it. So getting back to Monero. I can imagine that this experiment is interesting for studying the the trade-off that that uh, can be uh, that, that can be uh, helpful to evolve or or build around or on top of Bitcoin. Uh, and also, I can imagine that for some specific use case, if you really uh, have to mix your coins, maybe uh, adding to your Bitcoin mixing also a a, a Monero, uh, I mean a Monero transaction on BSQ and then a Monero transaction, and then back to Bitcoin, could also be something uh, interesting. But uh, there are at least two arguments for which I still think that uh, even these honest uh, experiments uh, would better off if done without any new coin. The first one is a typical monetary argument. So the point that Bitcoin works because it's perceived by the market as scarce, as digital scarcity. Digital scarcity exists because you have a, a finite, uh, predictable supply, so 21 million, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, less than 21 million. Uh, but uh, this is a, a scarcity of Bitcoin only. If you if you use uh, other altcoins as substitute substitute goods for Bitcoins, so if you can use digital scarcity with Bitcoin or Monero or Litecoin or Ether or whatever, and the market just treats. Uh, uh, these alternatives as basically the same thing, digital money with very low uh, frictions in exchange, then you don't have a predictable supply or cap supply anymore. You have a potentially infinite supply because the cost for producing new Bitcoin is very, very high. You have to do proof of work at the proper, at the proper difficulty. While the cost of producing an altcoin is basically zero. You, you, you take the code, open source code, you change a parameter uh, and then you launch and the only real cost is marketing, but but that's an unpredictable cost and it's not an inelastic cost. It's an elastic cost. 
the more you, your coin has value, the more you can invest in marketing, just like it happened with uh, with Ether. So it's a very bad form of money. So this this first po- first point will be that uh, if altcoins are sustainably possible, then scarcity is uh, sustainably impossible. So uh, uh, Bitcoin can fail because of altcoin, but altcoins cannot win uh, and not coexist in a meaningful manner with Bitcoin. Of course, that doesn't mean that uh, that the price on the market of any altcoins would be absolutely zero. Zero is, I mean, nothing that had a price at a certain pi- point in history uh, would be for sure uh, forever zero because it can be, still be sold as a collectible. Maybe in 2030, some people will uh, exchange a Litecoin private key uh, for a price because it's a historical collectible. So uh, nothing really goes to zero, but uh, it will be probably irrelevant. So the first thing is that uh, if you want to launch a legit experiment like Monero, but not just Monero, uh, consider also maybe Namecoin uh, for uh, for nom- uh, namespace uh, uh, decentralized uh, uh, assignation, assignment, sorry, uh, or consider Siacoin for distributed, uh, replicated and distributed uh, storage, or uh, maybe um, the, the new very, very cool Mimblewimble protocols like Green. Uh, these projects are interesting and motivated also by legit uh, legit uh, use cases sometimes, maybe, and legit uh, um, technical uh, scientific uh, inquiries, for sure, and legit uh, uh, goals by, by the people promoting them, most of the people promoting them, but they would be better off if they could be uh, either uh, a, a Bitcoin sidechain, which means a new architecture with totally different rules and features, technically speaking, but uh, reusing the same uh, value content, which is Bitcoin. If you think about that, if you want to 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 evolve from uh, from uh, v, uh, from VHS to DVD to Blu-ray, you do evolve the medium, the infrastructure. But that doesn't mean that you have to throw away all the movies that you that you. Uh, I mean, Hitchcock movies were on some kind of support, and now you can still enjoy them on the new support. You don't have to rebootstrap Hollywood history and cinematic uh, standards every time you change the, the kind of support. If you go from uh, from uh, gas uh, engine to Tesla uh, electric engine, you don't rebuild all the roads and the road system and the road signs just in order to use the new uh, technology. So the, the point of sidechains will be to launch the new alternative experiment like Monero, Mimblewimble, but without trying to rebootstrap the asset again, uh, which is also creates a second class of problems. Even assuming, and I, I, I don't assume that, I think that's false. Even assuming that digital scarcity can exist with uh, an uh, unpredictable number of altcoins recognized by the market as, uh, as money, uh, still you have a problem of liquidity that I was talking, uh, I was talking uh, about before. So let's consider, for example, the, the, the very naive view that you can save money uh, using uh, Litecoin as a transactional coin, while at the same time storing your value long-term in Bitcoin. So you have Bitcoin as a store of value, and then your counterparty, the merchant, likely has Bitcoin as a store of value, but you use Litecoin as just a transactional money. 
This doesn't make any sense because in order to do that, you have to sell, to move your Bitcoin out of your cold storage to a market. So you pay an on-chain transaction with or, or whatever with Bitcoin. Anyway, any, anyway, you move Bitcoin. Then you pay a market fee to change Litecoin. Then you send the Litecoin to your merchant. Then the merchant will likely have to to move uh, to to change on a market again and to move back to his cold storage. So yeah, you can get some efficiency by batching. So you can do a few Bitcoin transactions from and to exchanges uh, and then back to storage. But still, the the point is that um, uh, this doesn't make any sense. You are paying more. You are paying more fees. It only makes sense if you assume that either you or and the merchant are actually using uh, Litecoin as a long-term store of value. But if you are assuming that, then you are assuming not a a new form of transactional. uh, You are not really differentiating the functions between store of value and transactional money. The same thing applies actually with Monero. So assume you are you are keeping your your uh, value uh, in in your cold Bitcoin Core wallet, and the merchant will eventually have to do the same. So the value proposition of long term censorship resistant store of value is served by Bitcoin. Then now you want to be private, and you have to cha- to move Bitcoin to a market to sell those Bitcoin for Monero to send Monero to for the merchant that will have to sell to to move back to the market exchange for bitcoin and get the bitcoin back to the to the to the cold storage of course the assumption that uh, the cryptographic privacy of monero compensate for the lack of privacy of any kind of market i mean uh, if you go on a market you will have to mask uh, to to go on uh, on probably uh, masking your ip with tor but you will leave traces you will leave uh, um, privacy leaks everywhere you are basically compensating the, everything you're getting from the altcoin by the fact that uh, money has to be usually both a store of value and a transactional instrument at the same time. So for this reason, I'm skeptical about uh, about this project, even when the underlying technology is interesting. So for example, uh, Zcash is not technologically interesting for me, or Ethereum is not at all technologically interesting for me. But Monero is, but that doesn't mean that the sidechain will be better. Even if you can't do a, a, a trustless sidechain, uh, which is still very, very uh, a speculative concept, maybe you can do a, a trusted, a semi-trusted sidechain like a Liquid or like Rustock, or maybe you can just do, I mean, if you really cannot do any of that, I think the best thing would be uh, to do a proof of burn. So basically the new coin is generated every time you destroy Bitcoin, which is like a one-way sidechain which would be better than creating a new coin from scratch. Not, a re- not really a sidechain, but at least you don't inflate Bitcoin. And, and you can get the new coin trustlessly without passing through a market, at least in one direction, if not in the other. And, and if you cannot do that, maybe the, the fork, improperly called fork, basically the UTXO airdrop strategy, uh, it, it's better, it's better than, than the pure from scratch altcoin of course it, it has been used in order to to scam people for example by bcash and now bsv and uh, bab so it was a uh, it was dishonest it was a uh, it was scammy because uh, people like roger vernader used the fact that there was a UTXO airdrop in order to promote their altcoin as bitcoin but if you don't do that if you create a new coin like a new green uh, a new mimble wimble coin and instead of creating a new monetary value from scratch, 
you just uh, give that monetary value uh, to people based on their Bitcoin UTXO, that's, uh, I mean, I, that will be for me the third best. The first best is sidechain. The second best, the proof of burn, like one-way sidechain. And the third best, a UTXO airdrop. So at least you don't force to, to people to move through a market in order to acquire the new thing. So they can move uh, trustlessly from store of value in Bitcoin to the new uh, uh, features of the new coin. And, uh, and at least you are not inflating uh, Bitcoin supply and digital gold overall supply. So that's the reason I'm still skeptical about uh, this experiment, even when they are interesting. Fantastic comments, Giacomo. I think the other thing, and you were touching on this, is just this self-reinforcing nature of liquidity. And it may very well be that some altcoins out there may be marginally better on one or two certain attributes. So let's say Grin might, might, even if we can see that it is better from a privacy point of view, it just, it may not be better on an overall point of view. And ultimately, if something's going to win in the market for money, it sort of has to win overall, would you say? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the point. Privacy uh, is, is, a, is just a, a sum of uh, local privacy of that transaction plus global privacy of your anonymity set and saving in uh, in fees is just a sum of the saving you do uh, from a technical point of view of that transaction plus the saving you do in order to uh, to, to not change on the market between one and and the other coin so yet what, what i will i will really agree with your definition uh, money usually has a strong uh, interconnected uh, I mean, in, uh, needs strong, strongly interconnected functions in every field. You cannot have just one money which is better for this and one which is better for that. I agree. Fantastic. And I think the next idea I was keen to discuss with you is just around this discussion that's been taking place over the last year or two around Bitcoin's financialization. So some people have come out and said, well, is it that Bitcoin needs an ETF and the financialization, or does finance need Bitcoin? Huh. Very good question. I will I will argue for the second. Uh, Bitcoin, I think Bitcoin doesn't need financialization because financialization usually provides all the things that are already provided for traditional uh, for traditional uh, market uh, asset class. So, uh, I mean, all the things that you think you can get from financialization, like uh, uh, regulation, legitimacy, um, uh, security that your government will not try to 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 get it, or or anything else like uh, or free marketing, like uh, because legitimacy is also used as marketing uh, or, or social acceptance. These things uh, are already there for U.S. dollars. So uh, why do you need Bitcoin if you already have these things? Uh, in the US dollars. Maybe you need Bitcoin because you want censorship resistance and uh, impossible to inflate uh, money. But if that's the case, that's a, the, the reason you cannot have it with the dollars is exactly because the, dons, the dollar is financialized and regulated and easy to regulate and to censor and basically completely controlled by government, uh, government-like institutions like central banks and, uh, and financial uh, uh, surveillance mechanism. So uh, if you want to pay when people doesn't want you to pay, uh, when people don't want you to pay, you need Bitcoin, not because uh, it's, uh, it's financialized, but because it is not financialized and regulated. So th there is a, a strong trade-off. 
But if you, if you, uh, one could argue that not only Bitcoin doesn't need um, financialization and regulation, but uh, it's the other way around. Any kind of financialization could bring uh, value, uh, uh, could just drain value out of Bitcoin, just like a financialization of gold made basically possible the great censorship and the great expropriation of gold from the market. So when, when gold was an effective alternative to fiat money, uh, inflation, uh, basically, the, 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 and also to uh, financial global surveillance, what governments de- uh, did was to, uh, to ban gold, basically. Uh, Roosevelt in the US and Hitler in Europe and every, every, everybody, every government which tried to establish a, a close control over the population had to ban the monetary use of gold. I mean, uh, using gold as monetary mean was a criminal offense in the U.S. under Roosevelt, and or even uh, gold representative like uh, IOUs. Uh, that that's the reason you, uh, you. That's the the only way you can implement a fiat monopoly uh, in your market. So uh, one could argue that you have. Uh, I mean, that was possible. Uh, banning gold was possible because gold was heavily financialized. So there was not many people using uh, gold in their private face-to-face transactions and many people using uh, uh, gold IOUs. And so it was easy to inflate the gold paper, the paper gold supply and to ban gold and so on. And some could argue that if Bitcoin gets heavily financialized, it becomes easier to censor because you cannot censor the base layer, but you just censor the, the the second trusted regulated layer, which is actually true. I mean, if ever if nobody uses Bitcoin directly and everybody uses Bitcoin through a centralized payment processor, then censoring Bitcoin is super easy, and then there is not a, any point for Bitcoin in the first place anymore. So uh, this uh, Bitcoin doesn't need financial financialization, but it could financialization if if uh, if uh, not balanced by a, an exit option, an easy exit option. Uh, could even be dangerous for Bitcoin. On the other way, I think that financial—I mean, the financial world needs Bitcoin because, for the simple reason that it's a, a heavily uncorrelated asset. So when you build a financial portfolio, you want uh, decorrelation. You want things that are that are decorrelated, uncorrelated, or uh, to to your traditional asset classes. And Bitcoin is such a things, uh, such a thing. Not altcoins, actually. Most altcoins are strictly correlated with Bitcoin, with some noise, uh, which is basically correlated with marketing uh, efforts of the of the centralized altcoin team. But if you take off this the, the marketing noise, like the new partnership of uh, Ripple or IOTA or DentaCoin, if you take these uh, this, uh, marketing out, you have basically a strong correlation between the altcoin and Bitcoin. Well, so it's basically just a, like a Bitcoin derivative. So they are useless to uh, to create a, a uh, to create a diversification. You you do not diversificate your portfolio with altcoins. But if you have a traditional portfolio of uh, cash, uh, equity, and obligations, uh, uh, then you can and, and commodities, then you can uh, you can diversify it with Bitcoin because it's, it shows a strong uh, non correlation. So it doesn't mean that Bitcoin has to go up to, to provide this value. Bitcoin, Bitcoin can go up or can go down. The point is that it doesn't have to go up and down together with the, the asset classes you already have in your portfolio. 
And the correlation is a powerful, non-correlation is a powerful tool for your uh, portfolio um, portfolio strategy. It can be used and also controlled and balanced and, 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 and put in check uh, with many strategies in order to have a better per- portfolio performance overall. So I think that the, uh, I mean, governments will right now control and regulate the, fin- the regulated white financial market. They don't need Bitcoin and they should be afraid of Bitcoin. But uh, the, the, the market actors that are operating in this uh, white market, like uh, the, the, the investors, basically, they have any reason uh, and they should have any reason when they start to understand it to be interested in getting Bitcoin. But of course, if you are a Swiss in, or, or American investor and you just want to, uh, in, to, if you just want to speculate on the non-correlation of Bitcoin price, uh, you don't need to, uh, to build uh, like uh, to, 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 to learn to run a full node, to store your seed. You don't want that because you're already a regulated investor. You just want to call your bank and to ask to your bank to buy these, these, uh, these shares, these, these bonds, and this uh, uh, Bitcoin. Uh, so uh, there, is a, a, there is a market for financialized Bitcoin, which is not the same market for Bitcoin first-level users. It's a mass market for Bitcoin second-level users or Bitcoin pure investors. So people who doesn't care about uh, using the censorship resistance uh, property, they just care uh, about the fact that other people care that this, uh, that this is a useful function. Fantastic. I've heard some people describe that as people who want Bitcoin-flavored risk. Now, on that topic, you mentioned how there, there would be a market for financialized Bitcoin. Now, then the question comes, how much of the overall supply could these financialized Bitcoin services hold versus some of the OG hodlers and newer, you know, hardcore Bitcoin holders? That's a that's a very good question. Uh, arguably, the, this is also a question that somehow addressed the the point about uh, security risk for Bitcoin if too much value moves to moves to a censorship prone uh, layer like the financial regulator layer. Uh, the 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 bet is that. Uh, uh, it will be not too much. I mean, right now I cannot measure or predict how, how much is too much, but I will say that uh, a, a strict minority of the market should be on those markets or on those regulated markets. Otherwise, I mean, Bitcoin is not, uh, is not completely uh, doomed, but uh, there are serious security risks because uh, if, uh, if the regulator can just uh, can censor the great part of the liquidity or of the market uh, uh, suddenly uh, uh, that's that's a huge security and, and usability problem for for bitcoin so it would be uh, of course it would be great um, that uh, this financialization which i think is inevitable and ultimately also good because it it uh, it increases the the value of, of the of the collateral bitcoin even if there is fractional reserve or anything else, it still increases the value of the collateral. So it's a, it's inflation in a way, uh, but uh, but uh, it's inflation which brings uh, new new demand to to the same to to to, to the supply basically. So um, yeah, th- that's a risk. I I don't know. Uh, frankly, I don't know how to measure even how to imagine a measure of that. 
What I can say is that usually that's not a fatal risk, uh, it's not the ultimate risk if uh, you still have an easy exit option. I, I make you the example of gold. So gold is heavily financialized. That means that uh, the, the price of gold can be manipulated once or twice or three times by some strong regulatory inter intervention, by, by maybe by, I mean, by, by, the, by some central bank of uh, the, the Federal Reserve or the China Central Bank, can, they can manipulate the, the, the price of gold because it's heavily financialized, but up to a certain point. They cannot completely manipulate forever the price of gold because the market can skip. I mean, when you exaggerate with the fractional reserve, you can actually withdraw gold. When, when you really need to store gold for some reason outside the regulated market, you can uh, because it's physically possible. While with fiat, it's actually impossible to escape the regulatory trap because fiat doesn't exist outside the regulatory, uh, economically and, and even digitally speaking. Fiat doesn't exist outside, I mean, except for a very low amount of, uh, of uh, US dollar cash, paper cash, which still, it's used in the black market, but uh, it's super easy to manipulate by the Federal Reserve because the supply is just trivial to change. While gold, I mean, is still more resistant to manipulation. I mean, a heavily financialized gold is more, easily, is more easy to manipulate than non-financialized gold, but still somehow difficult to manipulate over a certain point. So there is like a security feedback, a security, a security uh, measure, ultimate security measure. Bitcoin arguably is even better than gold because, uh, I mean, getting your gold out of a, of a cavo is super expensive and slow and difficult, while getting your Bitcoin out of, uh, of, a, of a custodian solution it's arguably easier, and if the custodial solution doesn't uh, doesn't want to give you back the Bitcoin, you know why, and you get it immediately. While with gold, there is more plausible deniability because it's difficult to move, etc. Also, Bitcoin is easy, easier to 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 hide than than gold. Easier to transfer across uh, continents, so it's uh, arguably even better than gold from that point of view. So it, it is a security vulnerability. The fact that uh, the financial sector could uh, own uh, a, a huge amount of Bitcoin liquidity or market cap in a regulated part. Uh, but, but the thing is that basically uh, if something bad happens to that kind of regulated Bitcoin, by definition, the only interest in Bitcoin becomes the unregulated Bitcoin. So the, the, the whitelisted Bitcoin basically becomes worthless because it's not uh, it's uh, it's not anymore resistant to to inflation because you can inflate with rational reserve is not resistant to uh, to uh, censorship and uh, expropriation and confiscation because you can confiscate it because it's uh, regulated and custodial uh, so uh, there is no value proposition on the whitelisted bitcoin anymore the whitelisted bitcoin the bitcoin flavored risk has value only insofar the market thinks that it's strictly convertible and easily convertible and redeemable into a real Bitcoin with strong censorship-resistant properties. Uh, if that's not the case for a while, the market will price it, and so the, the whitelisted Bitcoin will uh, basically go towards zero, and the, the real Bitcoin will become only the black market Bitcoin. Right. And I suppose your ability to withdraw that Bitcoin out into your own full node obviously kind of gives you 
a possibility of saying, no, look, it this is um, Bitcoin proper and not, you know, financialized Bitcoin. And I suppose we would anticipate in some sort of fractional reserve system that a difference in the price would emerge and Bitcoin, full reserve Bitcoin would trade at a different price to the suspect fractional res- fractionally reserved Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's why it's important to to understand that, uh, uh, I mean, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. If you don't hold, if you're not the only person or party holding the keys for your uh, for your uh, Bitcoin uh, UTXOs, you, th- those are not really your Bitcoin. They can be taken from you. You, you are not, you don't have any guarantee of the censorship resistant properties. And also if you don't run your own validating full node, not your new Bitcoins, meaning that uh, when you receive Bitcoin and you don't have a full node to validate that you receive Bitcoin, if you use a, a mobile wallet with uh, uh, Bloom filters, you are not really validating uh, y- your Bitcoin. You can be fooled, you can be tricked, you can be scammed, you can be hijacked by uh, any kind of uh, uh, external attack or special interest. Right. And speaking of attacks, I think that's probably another coming topic of Bitcoin has obviously faced many attacks over its now 10 year history. There may be bigger attacks to come and we can you know, talk about how likely are they to succeed. One example might be a nation state trying to hijack the network with a mining attack. Perhaps they could rent some hash power, maybe or like maybe some rich you know, person or rich group of people could try to say, put in a short position on Bitcoin and then try to attack the network. Do you think such a thing is likely to happen or possible? Uh, I don't know if it's likely. I I think it's definitely possible. There is a very good modelization, economical and game theoretical modelization of this scenario by by Eric Vosquil. You can find it on the the LibBitcoin crypto economics uh, repository on GitHub. Uh, Eric uh, uh, created this very nice model. Uh, he thinks that this this uh, this uh, this uh, scenario is not just possible but basically necessary. I'm, I'm I don't think it's necessary, but I think it's definitely possible. A scenario in which uh, the government underst- I mean, if uh, so, he doesn't think it's necessary. Uh, if Bitcoin is going to succeed in in, in being uh, resistant to uh, regulation, uh, then. Uh, the only thing that government can do if Bitcoin is, is succeeding and, and, and spreading and resisting regulation is to try to censor it uh, mining. So acquiring, uh, renting or, or whatever, printing money uh, or uh, extorting money through taxation and using this money that it printed or, or extorted in order to buy or build or, or rent uh, ASICs and mine Bitcoin. When you mine Bitcoin, if you reach the majority and if you uh, can keep the majority of the hash power, you cannot change the rules of Bitcoin. So you, you cannot change the validation rules, but you can censor transactions because you can just say this kind of transaction, for example, the transactions that are not whitelisted in this list are not going to be confirmed on the network. So the interesting thing is that uh, now there is a, a, a the, the, the Eric Vosquez scenario uh, uh, depicts a, a now a race between uh, the government uh, mining and the black market mining, meaning that the government has a subsidy 
for continue spending uh, in uh, in ash rate by taxation, while the black market as a subsidy uh, uh, to try to overcome the fifty the fifty percent of ash rate by the black market transaction. So the idea is, uh, let's assume there is a demand globally for censorship resistant transaction for, for for transaction of a certain kind. Let's say that let's say that the government wants to censor these transactions. So they pay in order to acquire Asian power to censor these transactions, but there's still demand. So when the demand gets high enough, the black market will simply pay more fees and the fee mechanism in Bitcoin is already, uh, basically, it's ready for that. Basically, if you are, a, I don't know, if you are a Venezuela guy that wants to, to move uh, Bitcoin uh, to another guy without the gov- government uh, sending you to jail, if, if you are, uh, whatever, a China a guy that wants to export capital or to sell uh, against uh, um, commercial blockades and embargoes and, and stuff like that, then you will put a very high fee. And so uh, if the government doesn't uh, uh, take that fee into a block because uh, they are se- actively censoring, some miner will eventually overpower the government because there is, a, a, there is money to be made into, into competing with the government. So this is interesting security scenario of a race between governments and black markets. Uh, it's not a, a, a scenario with a clear uh, long-term winner. It could go on for, for a lot of time. And uh, I'm not sure that's a realistic case uh, because, you know, when you talk about game theory and especially, I mean, public choice and politics, there are a lot of recursive arguments like if, if the governments understand that that's the case, they may not even try to do that because uh, that would be pointless in the long run, etc., uh, etc. Et so, yeah, it's a very int- fascinating uh, um, uh, hypothesis. Uh, hypothesis. Uh, oh, there is a, 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 a there is a let's say trivial uh, variant of this hypothesis, which is the government not spending money to acquire Asian power but to destroy Asian power, which is also interesting because if uh, the, the amount of Asian power destroyed is high enough, then Bitcoin will just adapt difficulty uh, with the difficulty adjustment. But as we know, the difficulty adjustment for, for very good reasons is not super fast or, or super t- or, 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 uh, or all powerful. Uh, you, you, can just ad- you can only adjust some percentage of difficulty, I think like 20% or something like that. And you can just do that every 2000 something block. 2016 block or something, uh, and if the Asian, so let's assume that tomorrow the China government uh, managed to acquire and destroy all the ASICs in China, and let's assume that you drop the Bitcoin hash rate by 60%. So you don't stop Bitcoin, but you can really make the uh, the Bitcoin user experience worse for a very long time. Of course, there are two objections to this scenario. The first objection is that uh, it's a unrealistic scenario because you have to make sure that you have a, a, a group of government employees that will go to seize ASICs and they will really destroy the ASICs instead of just lying to their supervisor and employing the ASICs in secret in their own facility. So corruption in public choice is a very powerful force. So you have to have a government without corruption, which is basically impossible. And the second argument is that uh, eventually, I mean, I'm not sure that's, that's something doable very, very often, but uh, the Bitcoin uh, market could 
fork away from this kind of scenario with some kind of uh, proof of work uh, adjustment, I think that would be very traumatic uh, and it could create a lot of coordination problems. So it will like be the super last resort, like the like the atomic option for, for, for Bitcoin. But in extreme scenarios, there is also this atomics option, which means that uh, the government is less likes, likely to try to go in this extreme scenario because if there is an atomic option, you don't always have to use the atomic option. The, its, its existence itself can be enough to be a deterrent. Fantastic explanation. I think it's just that, yeah, so ultimately the very existence of it as a threat or the possibility may kind of stop a person from trying that attempt to attack Bitcoin. Now, another way a government could attempt to, let's say, outlaw Bitcoin, and there are different pathways we could think about. So one angle is, hey, that would create competition and other governments or other states around the world might want to make it legal to attract Bitcoiners. But then the flip side of that is, okay, maybe the governments can successfully collude and do things similar to immoral organizations like the OECD who try to coordinate government efforts on taxation and try to raise taxes everywhere. Yeah, I think that the, the, the tax example is very, very good in showing that uh, government competition can be, uh, uh, can be an exploitable arbitrage windows for, for a while, for sure. But it's usually not very uh, a, an equilibrium, it's not a stable equilibrium long term. Because uh, the, what defines a government, at least in the way we usually use the word, is the, the, the taxation process and in the modern world is also the inflation, the currency inflation process and the legal, uh, the legal tender laws and the monopoly uh, over money. So uh, these are like uh, uh, constituent elements of what we define uh, as a government today. Uh, so being this the case, uh, you can have a, a, I mean, you can have an opportunistic government that right now uh, doesn't participate to the ban of Bitcoin or even uh, or even it's very friendly to Bitcoin um, uh, in again in the interesting uh, modelization of Eric Bosquil uh, he says that in this case this specific government is not part of the government as an as a as an economical abstraction but is part of the black market in a way uh, so you can have competition among governments uh, but usually uh, you have collusion in the long term because the interests of all these agents are ultimately aligned uh, f- uh, in favor of taxation and inflation. If you think about uh, tax, uh, I mean uh, tax havens, uh, it it was a thing. I mean, the 80s, in the 90s, you could effectively avoid taxation uh, and inflation in some in some cases, just move just uh, uh, arbitraging uh, across different uh, nation states. You know, all the theory of the sovereign individual. Uh, you just do uh, geographic arbitrage between nations. But right now with FACTA, uh, one after the other, every single government in the, in, in the herd started to report uh, tax information to FACTA. And I mean... Uh, uh, oh, sorry, we'll just explain that just for um, listeners who don't know, where, don't know what that is. That's FATCA, Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act. And essentially, basically, the US government requires other governments and other banks to declare which of their which of their customers are US citizens and then they try and use that to basically identify taxation and revenue and other countries are using a similar thing called CRS sorry go on 
Yeah, exactly. And of course, also the other countries are leveraging the same system. So, for example, Italy, uh, since there is a, a new uh, ex automatic exchange of information based on FACTA, uh, Italy will leverage that in order to have information to all the Italian residents uh, uh, doing business in, abroad with other banks. So there are some places in uh, that are st that still didn't sign this kind of agreements like uh, Dubai, uh, but they're li like every year they are less and less and more cornered. Like uh, Switzerland was a, a very clear example of resistance to, toward this uh, to this global uh, Orwellian surveillance, but uh, basically they suffered a, a commercial, I would call it a commercial embargo threat from the US until they surrendered their their bank secrecy. And the same topic uh, also applies to um, to sound money, to hard money, to uh, resistance to inflation. Basically, there were some kind of competition among uh, central banks, but uh, that basically t tended to converge over a U.S.-centric and Federal Reserve-centric uh, global system. Right now, you see some kind of uh, differentiation from that because you have... Uh, maybe China and other, uh, uh, maybe Russia, trying to uh, get away a little bit from the uh, basic monopoly of the US dollar uh, uh, of the reserve, uh, global reserve, as a global reserve currency. Uh, but it's still, I mean, the, 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 the global trend, the long-term trend is over collusion of states in this regard. So I think that uh, this uh, idea of regulatory arbitrage like Bitcoin will be banned here, but maybe it will be uh, still, uh, uh, I mean, allowed, but it even encouraged there. Uh, could work well short term, uh, but not long term. It's just like, I mean, the same thing, well, a little bit less scammy, but it's the same thing for the ICOs. Basically, if I do an IPO, if I just sell the shares of my company to the public investors, I will have to spend a lot of money for compliance and regulation and paperwork and certifying the accredited investors and, and so on. And then I will have to uh, avoid that these shares are bearer instruments on the secondary market because otherwise the government cannot control the, 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 the money. So they will want uh, everything to be nominal and not bearer instruments. So I have a lot of regulatory costs. If I do an ICO, and I tell all the people that I'm giving them, them voting rights and dividends, just like a share, but it's not legally a share because it's different. So I'm trying to trick the regulator into, into thinking that I'm doing something which is not a share, but I'm trying to trick the investors into thinking that I'm doing something which is actually is a share. This can maybe work for a while, but eventually just for, uh, as we have seen with the ICOs, Eventually, uh, the regulators will understand that these are used as share by the market, so they will try to regulate them as shares. And the investors, they will understand that the company uh, is actually uh, legally defining these things not as share, but just as collectibles uh, without any relation with the, with, the, uh, with the revenues of the company or the profits. And so they will understand that they have been, both the regulators and the investors will understand that they have been scammed by the ICO uh, runner. So uh, it's not a long, long-term solution. Right. And the other thing I wanted to bring up that I'd like to get your comments on. So right now, we are seeing a little bit of this whole regulatory whack-a-mole game with exchanges who have trouble getting a bank account. And often, even you know, despite Interpol coming out with a report saying Bitcoin is not really used 
that much in money laundering, it still seems to be the case that many banks are obviously they live in fear of losing their banking license, and because of AML laws and so on, they still are kind of scared to bank Bitcoin companies and Bitcoin exchanges. But to that same point that you were making earlier, that the more the world is sort of clamping down and a lot of the old tax havens of the past or bank secrecy laws and so on that used to exist in Switzerland have kind of been eroded and clamped down. The more the government keeps closing and clamping on things like AML, KYC, the more it starts to eventually push people all the way over to the other side. And what we're starting to see now is things like this whole Patreon MasterCard drama of Patreon shutting people down because they're worried about their banking relationship with MasterCard. At the same time, that drives more people into the arms of Bitcoin overall. Yeah, I think that this raises uh, some points, some, uh, I would say, a little bit philosophical points about uh, uh, government intervention in the economy. So basically, uh, the, the government uh, as a concept, as an economical exception, has the, any interest in, in controlling the economy. But it is very bad at, uh, at controlling the economy because it, uh, since it is the government, so it's uh, uh, violently monopolistic it becomes uh, very inefficient and very corrupted for public public choice reasons and uh, and so it doesn't basically it doesn't work so one thing that government usually does uh, is to uh, to outsource some basic functions to some uh, uh, almost market entity that is a, is a more efficient because it's coming from the market but is basically included uh, legally into some kind of uh, uh, regulatory privilege and regulatory monopoly. Uh, the, the, the typical school book example of this is the uh, is the uh, Eastern uh, India's company to to um, I mean when when the American uh, patriots uh, um, arised against the the, uh, the, Brit- the British crown, they didn't really attack first uh, the British government. They did attack the uh, East India Company. Uh, a private uh, but monopolistic company. Uh, so this is the same for a monetary function. The governments try to manage inflation directly uh, with the, the, the national, uh, I mean, the, the, the direct printing, but they were very bad at that. So they tend to delegate this kind of printing to uh, this uh, almost external, still political, but almost not government dependent, I mean, not strictly politically dependent central bank. So it's more like a technical uh, technical entity outside the government, and especially commercial banks that are part of the cartel, a legal cartel. So they are part of the violent monopoly, but they are, they are almost competing. So there is some kind of pseudo competition and that keeps them a little bit more efficient and more anti-fragile. So uh, the, 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 with, uh, with uh, uh, basically with uh, um, monetary, uh, uh, with fractional reserve, uh, the banks are, the commercial banks are, u- are helping the government to inflate the, the currency. And the same goes for, uh, for uh, uh, traceability and censorship and uh, surveillance enforcement, uh, which is basically performed not just by the government directly, but also through these third-party outside uh, outsourcers that are commercial bank cartels. So uh, the interesting thing is that the government understood very, very, very quickly in historically that it doesn't have to ban, uh, it doesn't have to inflate the base currency too much because uh, commercial banks can just inflate it more or 
uh, if they want to create a, a bubble like with the subprime mortgages, they don't have to create the bubble necessarily directly from the government. They can just impose some, they can just pass some legislation that will make commercial banks uh, 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 behave in a certain way uh, in relation with uh, interest rates or, or mortgage uh, evaluation or stuff like that. So they can just drive commercial banks to do their job instead of them for, for some very, uh, I mean, uh, compelling reasons. The same applies to KYC regulation, um, uh, but, but also to other things, you know, like uh, uh, you have uh, uh, prostitution. Uh, government did historically try to ban prostitution, but it was such a radicated phenomenon that it was impossible to go around and just arrest people. So they just uh, tried to uh, shut down the centralized counterparties, market counterparties that wants to, that can be used by prostitution in order to promote the service or to or to pro, or to pay the service like uh, like uh, uh, Craigslist or Backpage or or anything like that. Same goes for uh, for marijuana or other recreative substances. Uh, you can ban it, but it has a very strong popular demand and popular support. So you cannot ban it forever uh, without getting unpopular. So you just uh, uh, basically you ask the banks to not open bank accounts to legal marijuana companies so that you are you are effectively uh, banning something without banning it formally uh, which is the same for bitcoin uh, they don't the governments do not have to outlaw bitcoin for now because they can count on the fact that the banks will will continuously uh, try uh, avoid to because they escape not because not because of business reasons because from a business perspective, you want more clients, you want to serve a market, but uh, yeah, they are scared of the regulators. So since they are scared of a future uh, regulatory uh, regulatory retaliation, uh, most of these banks are basically uh, not uh, allowing crypto business, which is odd because now what's, what, what this is causing is that it is driving two things, as you said. The first thing is that it's driving even more people uh, away from banks because they will just stay in the gray market and the black market directly without uh, without even passing by the white market. And the second thing is that, uh, 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 I mean, uh, Bitcoin and shitcoin exchanges are trying to become banks themselves. So since they cannot use banks to open their accounts, they are trying to enter the regulatory cartel uh, with the government directly with some kind of... Uh, uh, selling points like we will help you to regulate, we will help you to survey, we will help you to trace and to crack down and stuff like that. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I think you, you, you're really hitting the nail on the head there that governments often deputize private companies and use regulation as their means of doing that. And what we're seeing now is some of these large Bitcoin exchanges trying to go that same angle. Um, but I think ultimately then in some ways, you know, there's there's some bullish arguments there as well at the same time, as you said, that it may just drive people to just stay entirely within Bitcoin, just earn Bitcoin and spend Bitcoin and just, you know, totally stay within that economy. So that may be an interesting thing we see play out. Um, but look, Giacomo, I know I've kept you for a little bit uh, over an hour now. So how about you just give the listeners um, an update on what you're up to, maybe just some closing thoughts and anything they can look out for coming up from you and also obviously tell them how to find you online. <laughs> so they can find me online mostly on Twitter. I'm mostly active there. Uh, so Giacomo Zucco, my name uh, without uh, space. 
um, on, on Twitter. What I'm up to is mostly uh, trolling other people like you have seen with the, with the, with the Bitcoin emergency threat. <laughs> but I also try to do some work. So basically, I, I do consulting for a living. So I, I consult company about, uh, about Bitcoin since, uh, since some years. That's my first uh, uh, for-profit occupation. Uh, uh, consulting and teaching, actually. I'm trying to move more and more from consulting to teaching because consulting is getting really boring. Uh, and, and teaching is more interesting. So, of course, I'm not a developer. I'm a theoretical physicist as, a, as education, so I cannot teach uh, like a, a Jimmy Song style or, or stuff like that, uh, the, the, the code directly. But I, 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 have, I think I have some, some uh, education skills that I, that I can use for profit. And for non-profit, I mostly use the proceedings, the, the, the profits of, of uh, the, the, the consultancy part in order to boost and help and, and fund and sponsor um, uh, open source nonprofit activities. Uh, right now, for example, I would love to sponsor people working on Wasabi Wallet or people working on, uh, on um, the BTC Pay server or a joint market initiative or, uh, or uh, uh, RGB, Open 10 Stamps, uh, uh, Proof Marshall. There are a lot of interesting projects that I try and I would like to help. Uh, I, uh, until the last uh, September, I did that with uh, my BHB network uh, initiative, which is basically me and my wife and, and, and other friends. And uh, uh, in September, we decided with uh, uh, Alena Vranova, uh, now of Casa Hodl, uh, to build together a new instrument to do that called uh, the B, uh, which also created a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, controversy because it's actually a foundation. So somebody is scared by the, by the tragic fate of the Bitcoin Foundation, but it's something different. Uh, and uh, we are super late with that, mostly for, no surprise, regulatory reasons. So we want to be sure that we can accept donation from businesses, from incorporated businesses, that of course we'll have to be able to write off the donation as an actual donation to a legal entity. But at the same time, we want to be able to donate these, these Bitcoins to uh, anonymous or pseudo-anonymous developers in exchange for uh, uh, proof of PR on, on, on GitHub, basically. So that's, that's tricky. Uh, uh, we were uh, probably underestimating the the regulatory part of that. So we are late, but uh, I think we are coming. So I hope to give some news in the, in, uh, very soon about uh, the B and, uh, and what the B wants to, to do. Fantastic. Well, look, Giacomo, I think this has been an excellent conversation. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. And thanks very much again for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. It was fun. I think Giacomo offered some great insights in this episode. Let me know what you thought of the episode, and you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Stefan Levera. If you like this material, please help me out by sharing it, liking it, thumbs up on YouTube, give it a rating, review. Also, go to my website, www.stefanlevera.com, to find out more. If you want to get rid of your fiat money, come and donate it to me at patreon.com forward slash Stefan Levera. If you want to donate using Bitcoin or Lightning, use TallyCoin, which is at tallyco.in forward slash Stefan Levera. Thanks, guys. Chat next time.